Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Could LSU be the agent of chaos we need? for the college football playoffs. Could they? Because it sure does line up for them to do so. Especially after last night's college football playoff rankings were released. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and soon-to-be-fully-bearded one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined inside the studios today by the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos. He's here, bright and early, learning, absorbing. He's a sponge of knowledge today. Sitting next to him is, of course, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Tremendous show lined up for you today. Coming up an hour from right now, We'll have Hunter Bauer joining us, our friend from Go Preps. We're going to break down all the brackets, all of them. Non-select, select. Back-to-back segments with Mr. Bauer to get you primed, ready to go for high school football playoffs, which kick off this Friday. 7.30, the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins, will join us. Recap Alabama LSU talk maybe even a little LSU men's hoops that'll be coming up at 7 30 at 8 o'clock the voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns Jay Walker will join us the Raging Cajuns of course play their final home game of the regular season tomorrow night at Cajun Field they need a win they still will have an opportunity I've looked at the projections if the Cajuns get to six wins they're going to a bowl game There's not enough teams projected to be able to go to bowl games. So what we thought was going to be an issue, say, three weeks ago, having to have the team get to seven wins is not necessarily true now. Some have the Cajuns going to the Independence Bowl, but they have to get to six. That begins Thursday. We'll get a preview of it from Jay. And then at 8.30, Big Easy Blitz, Is it time to give up on the New Orleans Saints? Is it time to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the black and gold nation? Andrew Juge will share his thoughts on that. Our friend from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. So that's our lineup of guests for you today. Of course, we'd love to take your phone calls. Hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we'll start off today with the possibility that LSU could disrupt everything. College football playoff rankings, second edition comes out. We expected changes due to what happened over the weekend. 
Clemson losing to an unranked Notre Dame team. Boom, they plummet. Bama losing at LSU. They drop down. Tennessee getting skull drug by Georgia. They fall out of the top four. They were number one. Our new top four, though, and in particular, our new top six, is very interesting. At one, and not surprising, is Georgia. Defending national champs, undefeated. The performance they did against Tennessee proves that they should be the number one ranked team in the rankings. Followed then by Ohio State, undefeated, Buckeyes. They didn't hold the performance against Northwestern and 47-mile-per-hour wins against them. They're number two, undefeated. Number three, Michigan, Big Blue. By the way, Ohio State and Michigan wrap up the regular season playing each other. Winner gets to go to the Big Ten Championship. So, Georgia won, Ohio State two, Michigan three, two and three play each other, which means that'll simply be an elimination game. Then things get interesting. TCU, who was seven last week, is all the way up to four. Horn Frogs are in as it stands right now, but they have no room for error. TCU will have to win out, and that includes winning the Big 12 championship. Love what they're doing there in the Fort Worth area with the Horn Frogs. They should be able to go undefeated in Big 12 play, but the Big 12 is notoriously unpredictable when it comes to that. Oh, and by the way, TCU gets to head to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns, who are ranked number 18 on Saturday. Can TCU survive Texas? Can they survive winning the Big 12 championship and punching their ticket into the college football playoff? Percentages aren't very high, is it? So, one, Georgia, no problem. Two, three, they'll play each other. Ohio State, Michigan. TCU has tough games still ahead. But then you look who's lurking. Tennessee falls from one down to five, which means the Volunteers went out. They're not going to be tested. They're not going to face another tough team. They're back into the schedule as light, easy. They're going to have a Heisman Trophy finalist. In Hendon Hooker, they're right there. So if one of those teams slips up, right? One of those teams slips up. Let's say it's Ohio State, Michigan. The loser drops out of the top four. Let's say TCU loses on Saturday to Texas. Tennessee can vault right back into the conversation, being the second SEC team into the college football playoff, even though they won't play for a conference championship game. Oregon is at six. The Ducks, who were absolutely blasted by Georgia in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta. That's their only loss. But since then, they have turned it around. They're going on a run. They have won eight straight. They are the Pac-12's best chance of getting into the playoff. But they still have roadblocks in front of them as well. But then you go down to number seven. And who's there? 
two-loss LSU. College football playoffs have never, never had a two-loss team in the field. It's never happened. Now, remember, during the BCS era that came before, prior to the college football playoff, what program was the only two-loss national champion? I know. Would someone like to raise their hand? Moses, are you raising your hand? Which program was the only two-loss BCS national champion? Wait for it. It was 2007 LSU. And now the Tigers sit as the highest-ranked two-loss team. They're above Alabama. They're above one-loss USC. One loss Clemson, one loss Ole Miss, one loss UCLA. LSU is above all of them. Tigers have to go up to Fayetteville, take on Arkansas at 11 a.m. in cold conditions. That will be a challenge. Then it's at home against UAB at 8 o'clock at night for some reason. Television makes terrible decisions. And then on the road at Texas A&M, which should be a game where Jimbo Fisher is that gif of the guy drinking coffee in the house that's on fire. That's essentially what Texas A&M football is. They win their last three games. LSU will be 10-2. and LSU will also be playing for the SEC championship against number one ranked Georgia. What do you do if LSU wins the SEC championship. What does the college football playoff committee do if LSU wins out? Are you going to keep the SEC champion out of the field? Even though they may have two losses? No, they will not. I'm telling you right now, based on how this committee has placed LSU, the initial rankings... With two losses, they were 10. They jumped up three spots. They have LSU positioned right there to become the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff field. Ohio State, Michigan will play each other. TCU. Now, look, if TCU wins out, then, you know, they're in. But then the interesting thing is going to be for the committee. Do you put in a two-loss LSU team over a one-loss Tennessee team? By the way, Tennessee beat LSU more than 20 points inside Death Valley. That's why I say agent of chaos. Once again, Tennessee beat LSU by more than 20 points in Death Valley. Absolutely took him behind the woodshed and gave him a whooping. And there's a very distinct possibility because LSU will go to, uh, to Atlanta. And if LSU beats Georgia, then LSU would be in over Tennessee. And then the committee is going to have to make some other decisions. What happens if Oregon ends with only one losses in the Pac-12 champion? Somebody's going to get left out for the two-loss SEC champ. Once again, so what-if scenario, LSU has to be focused on beating Arkansas on Saturday. 
then beating UAB, and then beating Texas A&M. And then they have to take on the biggest challenge of beating Georgia. But as we saw last year, Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. But then Georgia won the rematch in the national title and pushed around and embarrassed Alabama. So it's not as if Georgia is invincible. But the way those rankings came out last night, I was I said it on the air. I said I wouldn't be surprised if you see LSU around six or seven. And sure enough, right there at seven. Right there at seven. And they're going to have opportunities. They will have an opportunity to be around five, I believe, even before the SEC championship game, based on how the other games play out. If LSU wins their final three games, based on the schedule that TCU still has, based on the schedule Oregon still has, based on the fact that Ohio State and Michigan will play one another, there's a very real possibility that LSU heading into the SEC championship game would be ranked fifth. Georgia would still be one. And if that's the case, and LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game in Atlanta inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, they're getting in. And there will be chaos, and I'm here for it. I'm not even an LSU fan, and I'm here for this. Let's let let's get that two loss team in there. Let's let's shake it up a little bit. By the way, LSU can go ahead and clinch the SEC West this weekend. It needs some help. It has to beat Arkansas, but then it needs Ole Miss to lose to Alabama, which is going to be one of the weekend's better games. So we'll see. The committee loves them some Tigers, though. It loves the purple and gold Tigers. The the orange and white Tigers of Clemson, they're all the way down to 10. Ooh. No, ACC got, has no chance now. No chance to make the playoff. Shout out to Tulane. They're at number 17. They have a huge showdown this weekend against number 22-ranked UCF. Two teams ranked in the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings. The winner will likely have the inside track to get the New Year's Day spot in the Cotton Bowl. They thought college game day may go to New Orleans. It was debated. Instead, they're going to Austin for TCU, Texas. Interesting stuff. We got to take a timeout. Speaking of interesting... Does the general manager of the World Series champion Houston Astros have a contract? Yes or no? Confusion about that exact topic. And we'll touch on it next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
Oh, uh, your Alexa or Google Home speaker helps out around the house, doesn't it? It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know that it could also play the game? Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. LSU goes all the way up to number seven in the latest college football playoff rankings, giving them a chance to crash the party, becoming the first two-loss team to do so. Now, obviously, they have to win their final three regular season games and defeat Georgia in the SEC championship game. That's a tall order. But still, the possibility is there. While things are going well in Baton Rouge, things should be going swimmingly in Houston. They just won the World Series, yet... There's some interesting developments here. We know the relationship between James Click, the World Series winning general manager of the Strohs, and the man who owns them, Jim Crane, has not been great. Their working relationship is not optimal. Now, we find out yesterday by multiple reports, including Chandler Rome from the Houston Chronicle, that, in fact, Dusty Baker will be coming back for another year as the skipper. This makes a lot of sense. They just won the World Series. He still wants to be here. The team loves him, and the owner loves him as well. So this makes checks all the boxes. Now, sometimes James Click and Dusty Baker don't see eye to eye. I think that is less with Click and Baker not seeing eye to eye and more with Click and Crane not seeing eye to eye. Well, early reports yesterday were not only was Dusty Baker coming back, but so was GM James Click. Well, not so fast. Click told reporters that, in fact, he's in talks with the Astros on receiving a new contract, but he has not yet come to an agreement with the organization, which is interesting. This, this, is, this is something to monitor. Click takes over because Luno gets suspended by Major League Baseball and then Crane fires him. Fires him and fires skipper A.J. Hinch because of the trash can scandal. So you bring in Click, who's more of an analytical guy, and he and Crane have not necessarily seen eye to eye on a lot of different things. Jim Crane is a bit of a control freak. He likes to have things done his way. That always causes conflict between an owner and the GM because the GM believes he wants to do it his way as well. So they butt heads. But it's produced multiple World Series trips and a World Series championship. Interesting thing is that Click's actual contract expired on October 31st before the World Series was done. He's also refuted a USA Today report that said he had agreed to a one-year deal, telling reporters, quote, we are having discussions right now. I think any time that you're having discussions, it means that it's not complete, end quote. Click said he had discussed a potential contract with Astros owner Jim Crane on Monday in the hours between the team's championship parade and his flight here for the annual general manager's meeting, which is held in Las Vegas. The Astros called a news conference for today, Wednesday afternoon, by the way, which Click said he found out about recently after the team announced it. 
Oh, what? GM's not aware of the press conference that's being called? Not great. It's not great. He says the contract's not done. He says he didn't find out about this press conference that's being called. Very well could see the 44-year-old general manager of the Astros not come back, which you typically never see. You typically never see that. You just won a world championship together. You think people could put their things aside, their differences aside, but this doesn't seem like this is the case. Really doesn't. And once again, what's Eve done? He's only got them to the World Series a couple times and won a World Series championship. So, feels like he's doing his job. <laughs> I'm just, just saying. Now, I know a lot of those players were drafted or signed by Jeff Luna. I, I get that. And he inherited a great team, a great franchise. I understand that. But somebody's got to drive it, right? Somebody's got to steer the boat here. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Team just won a World Series championship. So it's something to just to keep an eye on, just to monitor, because it is pretty interesting what's going to happen there in H-Town. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on James to the show. James, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? mayhem. I'm like you, man. This, this needs to be one of those mayhem commercials. Uh, I'm loving it. I think LSU's going to get in. Um, I'm like you. I'm really not concerned with Oregon or TCU. Oregon's still got to play Washington, who's ranked, Utah, who's ranked, and Oregon State in their little backyard brawl. And then the Pac-12 championship lose. game. If they make it there, they yeah. can easily lose two out of the next three. And, and TCU's got to play Texas, Baylor, and pesky Iowa State. They could easily lose two of those three. I, I really think this is lining up. I'm, I'm, and with LSU, I'm less concerned with Georgia. We'll see what happens when they get there. They'll get up for it if they get there. I'm more worried about, you know, LSU has been in the past the king of the letdown game. I'm more concerned about a letdown with either Arkansas or Texas A&M. This is where we'll see how good a coach Brian Kelly is. See if he's got the culture going in the right direction. The guys aren't reading their Instagrams and seeing how awesome they are and thinking they can roll their helmets out on the field and win out. So this is where we see if they make a statement. And I think we're going to end up with three SEC teams in the Final Four. Woo! All about the chaos. James, appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. That could happen as well. New Georgia, Tennessee, LSU could make it. I think the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game is probably an elimination game. And he's right. TCU has a tough schedule, plus they have their conference championship. Oregon has a tough schedule, plus they have their conference championship. Of the trap games, though, Saturday's is the one to watch out for. Early kick on the road. Conditions will not be ideal. It's going to be cold up in Fayetteville. And traditionally speaking, the letdown game for LSU under the previous coaches, plural, after the Alabama week is always Arkansas. Is always Arkansas. 
even when they win the game, there seems to be a letdown. So this is the game they have to keep their eye on. And it's the one right after playing one of the best college football games we've seen in the last 20 years and taking down your arch rival in the process. This is the one where they really have to kind of tighten up and be like, all right, we're ready. They got to stand up. That's right. Somebody's got to stand up and say, you know what? We got to be focused. Yes. Got to be focused. Got to be ready to go. Can't let anything slip. Producer and intern extraordinaire adding value to this show, as always, especially on Wednesdays. Congratulations to Jaden Daniels. Gordon McKernan says, I got money for you. Gordon gets it done. The man is single-handedly bankrolling the NIL deals for LSU football players. As he locked up Jane Daniels on his first NIL deal. Hadn't had one yet. So the guy that's in the mix for earning all-conference honors at quarterback and has really developed into a, a very good starting quarterback. And I keep hearing reports, by the way, that he may come back for another year which would be great for LSU that lets Walker Howard have another year to develop. But Gordon gets it done. Jaden Daniels getting some of that NIL money now as well from Gordon McKernan. Got to take a timeout. We'll have more things that'll make you stand up and be proud to say something. I'll be coming up next, though. Right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match for sports talk love that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you've ever thought about airing TV or radio commercials, got good news for you. Today is the day for you. Today is your opportunity, especially if you're a local business. I'm not talking about the Wally Worlds of the world. No, no. I'm talking about local business owners because Delta Media is having a one-day sale event. It's designed for local mom-and-pop business owners to buy advertising at a discounted rate. It's today only from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you're interested, you're a local business owner here in Acadiana, in southwest Louisiana, in Lake Charles, and you want to take advantage of this great one-day sale. It's affordable advertising, but you got to book it today. 30-second radio spots, 30-second television spots. Now is the time to advertise affordably. You got to call Johnette Cochran at 337-896-2692. That's 337-896-2692. Let's talk a little Louisiana Raging Cajun football, shall we? 
while we have a few moments here. A few moments to spare before we unveil the foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day, every single Wednesday. Louisiana Raging Cajuns still have everything in front of them. They can still make it to a bowl game. They have to win two of their last three to make it happen. Now, one of those games is in Tallahassee a week from Saturday against Florida State. That's not going to be a win. Which means tomorrow night's game at Cajun Field, their regular season home finale against Georgia Southern, is a must win. Must win. Got to get to five and then have an opportunity to win your final game in San Marcos versus Texas State to get to six wins to get to be bowl eligible. Coach Dez knows what's at stake, understands what's at stake, and shared with us that he feels like his team is focused, ready to go, especially once they took the field on Sunday, a day after losing a tough game, a game they should have won against the Troy Trojans. You know, this team impresses me more and more, I think, every week, you know, uh, you know, I'll, you know, obviously we come in here earlier. Um, you know, I get up here early yesterday and the whole day, you know, you're kind of thinking, all right, what are we going to need to say? Kind of get them going to kind of motivate them, get them to understand, you know, that we got to move on. And, uh, you know, you walk in the team meeting room and, and they're sitting in their chairs. They got their pen and paper out. They're locked in. They're ready to go. Uh, it's business as usual. So, um, you know, they did a great job last night. They showed up. You know, we go through the tape like we always do. Um, you know, they know they know the way that the game ended is, is a lot of things were preventable, a lot of things that we, you know, didn't do very well um, in critical situations. And, you know, they're aware of it. We're going to see it. We're going to correct it. We're going to talk about how we can fix it uh, because for us, you know, we still have something to play for and our, we're going to play for it. And, um, you know, we got to get it fixed. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for us right now is – figuring out how to get momentum, keep momentum, and then how to pump the brakes whenever it kind of starts to roll the other way a little bit. They got to figure that out. They had all the momentum in that game against Troy, and they let it slip through their fingers, and they couldn't get it back, and they lose the game. They should have won that game, just like they should have won the ULM game. And, But there is a train of thought, so to speak, that sometimes it's easier to fix things after a loss. You've heard me speak about it all the time that Nick Saban does some of his best coaching after a defeat because it gives you the opportunity to reset things. It lets your guys know, hey, they need to put their egos aside, and guess what? You're not perfect. You're not as good as you thought you were. It's time to get back to work. And Coach Dez was asked, you know, is it easier for you to fix things with the team, with the program, following a loss rather than following a victory? Oh, I don't know. Uh, so you always go back, you know, you go back through it and it's like, you know, maybe you feel a little bit better if you get your butt kicked and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but no, I mean, yes, it, it is a good thing um, that, that it's, it's correctable, fixable things. Um, it's, it's frustrating. I think that's what hurts the most and that's what's the most disappointing. Um, you know, man, if it's a lack of effort, um, intensity, you know, I'm at, you know, you, you can get in there and you can, you know, you can do, you roll them up and do what you got to do and, and get after, you know, guys for, for not playing the way they need to play. That's not, that's not the case.
I think that a lot of times it's probably us just trying to maybe do too much. You know, when it when the when it starts to kind of slide, the momentum starts to slide. It's instead of doing your job and being where you're supposed to be and doing it really well, it's well if I do this, then I can I can make this play. There's something to that. I do feel like it's not effort when it comes to the raging Cajuns. Sometimes they just try to do too much, and then you make it worse, right? And that's what Coach Des is saying there. It's not the effort. It's that they just try to do too much when things start going wrong. And it makes it worse. Someone that's given effort his entire career is absolutely one of my favorite players that I've covered in my career. Covered him in New Iberia when I worked down there at the Daily Iberian when he was a star at Catholic High. And he's played multiple years, has dealt with some injuries, overcame those injuries, has been one of the best and most consistent players they have. And a guy that multiple coaches, whether it was Billy or whether it's now Dez, whether it's a win or a tough loss, Zion Hill, now Zion Hill Green, rises to the occasion. He's not afraid of dealing with that. He's not afraid of having honest conversations, holding his teammates accountable. He's a great player, but even a better teammate and leader for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And Dez, who's known him a long time, obviously they both went to the same school, high school together and college. Dez recruited him back in the day. Just talked about how important Zion's been to this program. Well, you know, I mean, I think on the field, it's easy to see how important he is. Uh, you know, in the run game, the throw game, he's constantly, you know, putting pressure on the quarterbacks. He wins one-on-one -on -one battles. He commands a double team. And when he doesn't get one, he's a problem, you know, for the other team. Uh, his his legacy and his reach goes way, way beyond that, though. Um, a guy that's been through a lot physically since he's been here, you know, his career here started with an injury, you know, in the summer when he got here. And it seems like, you know, for, for him, it's been – battling that managing that and uh and pushing through those things his whole career and you know our kids see him every day you know they know the shape that he's in after a game you know they know what he puts his body through they know what he comes back out here they know the way he prepares uh you know the days that he can't practice and we've we've got a, a pretty you know detailed plan for him and and how we practice him he's a great player he's always had to deal with injuries fought through but he's been an absolute great player for the Cajuns and it'll be his last home game Thursday night there at Cajun Field once again must win situation for coach Dez's team they beat Georgia Southern they give themselves a chance because then they only have to get one win in the final two games to get to be bowl eligible and I'm telling you based on the amount of teams that are going to be bowl eligible and the number of bowls the Cajuns have a chance to get to one of those games Brett McMurphy of the Action Network has them slotted in his latest projections of playing in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Shout out to the port, man. Shout out to the port. Poll question of the day on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. Usually I'm involved in the deliberation, the discussion of what it should be. Sometimes I even get insight and am influenced by my daughter, Hattie. But not this week. No, no. This week, 
it's all about the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She came up with this poll question by herself. Not surprisingly, it's all about her. <laughs> so, producer extraordinaire. Yes. Our poll question of the day on Wednesdays is our foodie poll question of the week. And we asked, what is Five Names' favorite meal? What is your favorite meal? And here are your options. Ramen noodles. Chicken spaghetti. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. Always the go-to when you were sick as a kid. Nothing tasted better than mom's tomato soup and grilled cheese. Or taco soup. Once again, what is Five Names' favorite meal? Is it ramen noodles? Is it chicken spaghetti? Is it grilled cheese and tomato soup? Or is it taco soup? And here's the interesting thing. One of these, correct? One of these options is a fake. Yep. Is a fake. One of these she does not care for. One of these is not her jam. Can you give us a hint? No. This is all in lieu of that my birthday is tomorrow. Yes. If you haven't heard. <laughs> because said it once. You have said it more than once. Off the air, Off yes. the air, yes. But not on the air. I'm pretty sure the janitorial crew knows that tomorrow is your birthday. <laughs> I have another name. There's family <laughs> members of Moses back in Texas that know it's your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> so. One of these does not belong. One of these is a fake. Now, we could have done the poll question, which one of these is not one of your favorites? But she just said, you know what? No, no, that's too easy. I'm going to give you four options. They're all four good options. I'm going to let you vote on it. And you know what? One of these options, actually, I don't like. Right? One of these you don't like. I do like, but they're not in my top favorite. They're not like my favorite meals. Like I will eat right on the spot every day, all day. Let's get to some comments. JPK, the OD, shared a gif of a young lady shoveling spaghetti in her mouth. So I'm assuming JPK, the OD, feels like it is chicken spaghetti that is your answer. Ton on Twitter says, seems like she'd be a spaghetti girl, but all these choices are amazing. And he shared a gif of Cookie Monster. Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, says, So my kids are learning a traditional Japanese children's song for their winter concert. The song mentions the island. What, what it, you making hard me, word. You're, <laughs> it's a hard word. It's a Japanese word, Jamie, which is known for their fishing industry. He gives me this correct spelling of a Japanese word, but misspells industry for fishing industry. Molding young minds. And having the best ramen in the world, rich people all over the world travel there to visit the ramen shops. So is that your way of saying, Jamie, in a long roundabout way that you believe that Five Names' favorite meal is ramen noodles? I'm assuming that's what he means. Mr. Green, are you getting enough sleep? Question. Ralph on Twitter says, agree that she probably enjoys all of them, but one screams a family recipe that mom or mama made, and that's chicken spaghetti. PETA disclaimer, no chickens were harmed in the writing of this tweet. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, everyone loves some taco soup. Yeah, they do. I had some last night, by the way. 
Ton on Twitter says it does say favorite. It's not like she hasn't tried other things. I've seen interviews of multimillionaires whose favorite meals are SpaghettiOs or tuna fish sandwiches, LOL. Yes, one of these I actually eat every year for my birthday, specifically. Like, I eat it every single year. Okay. So this this meal, your favorite, which you're going to unveil to us during the foodie roundtable discussion at 8.15 today. Mm-hmm is something that you're going to be having to eat at least sometime during the day tomorrow as you celebrate your 24th birthday. Yes. All right. There we go. There we go. So get those votes in on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. It's all about Hannah Five names. What's her favorite meal? Right now, 32% say taco soup. 31% say ramen noodles. 31% say chicken spaghetti. 6% say grilled cheese and tomato soup. So keep those votes coming and leave your comments and your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Uh, make sure to tune in tonight from 6 to 7 for the Meanies Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line of bed out of Westlake in the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Gazzolo, the great one, is going to be talking all things Cowboys as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting from the Maplewood Burgers location at 4453 Nelson Road. So tune in tonight starting at 6 for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's head out to the hotline. Oh, and welcome on Doc to the show. Doc, I got about a minute, but it's yours, my friend. What you got? I was calling in to uh, put my chime in on the, the poll question of the day. I, for the time I've met Hannah, I, I think she really likes cheese and tomato soup. I mean, it just fits Ooh. the cold weather. You can eat them at any time of the day. They go really, really well together. They're cheesy, gooey. I mean, seems like to me that would be my that was just my input there <clears throat> see and doc and you, and you bring up something interesting because she also said she likes having it every year on her birthday which obviously is in november things can get Cold chilly weather. around that time yes see ah uh-huh. going down the rabbit hole there. there it is way down that rabbit hole <laughs> appreciate the phone call brother enjoy your day my friend <laughs> you too. doc is a doctor he has great schooling. I'm just saying, Doc's got a big old brain. Just saying. Could be unveiling the mystery that is Hannah Five names his favorite meal. Could it be as something as simple as grilled cheese and tomato soup, though? She does pride herself on making dishes. She likes making spaghetti. I know that. She likes... Fancying up her ramen noodles. She likes making her taco soup. She's very proud about that taco soup. Is her favorite meal, though, something that is as easy as a grilled cheese and tomato soup? Ooh. Could be. Could be. Right now, the people say no, but are the people wrong? Do we really not know Hannah? Maybe. Maybe. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off. 
with Hunter Bauer from Go Preps. We're going to break down the football brackets, non-select and select. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, it's time to get up and dance on this Wednesday, November 9th edition of RP3 and Company. 7.03, it's hump day. We got the foodie poll question of the week out there. It's all about Miss Hannah Five Names. What's her favorite meal? One of them, by the way, is a fake. One of the options is not real. Go vote. Leave your comments and your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Come on, this is a family-friendly show. Let's keep it that way. Hour number one, we talked about LSU jumping up to number seven in the college football playoff rankings, which means there's a very good possibility that they will be the agent of chaos for the college football playoff if they win out and win the SEC championship because they could very well be the first two-loss team in the college football playoff field. A lot has to happen, though, obviously. But still, there's the possibility of that occurring. We also talked about the weirdness going on with the Houston Astros. James Click, your general manager of the team that just won the World Series, denying reports that he has a contract, saying that they're discussing it, but nothing's finalized. Yeah, Astros are having a press conference. He didn't know about the press conference, allegedly. Uh, that's a little weird, isn't it? Just a little. It's a little. It's a little off. But right now, it's time for us to get happy. You know why? Because it's time for us to talk high school football. The brackets have been released. Playoffs begin this Friday. Interesting, because we have the new divisions, that new select, non-select stuff that they voted on over the summer. And I have sit here and said all along that you're going to see some surprising state champs. You're going to see some perennial powers not make it. Teams that were accustomed to having deep playoff runs not be able to do it because of the new way the playoffs are done. And that's where we're going to start off with our first guest today. He's the editor of gopreps.com the best high school sports site in the state of Louisiana. Hunter Bauer joins us now. Hunter, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Hey, guys. We're doing well this morning. Thanks for having us on. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's get right to it. Do you anticipate having surprising state champions and having some perennial powers get eliminated earlier because of the new playoff format and the way teams are being divided up and select and non-select. Yeah, no doubt. It's definitely a possibility. 
Um, I, you know, I think you're going to have some of those perennial teams may get beat out in the first, you know, uh, first two or three rounds. Um, that's just how competitive uh, these brackets are that I've been able to sit down and just kind of look over, um, not really having studied them much just because there's so many of them. But uh, I definitely think there's a chance for, you know, some teams out there that may have not tasted championship victories before. Uh, I definitely think this is their shot this year uh, with the new formats. And, uh, you know, the, the, the road to the dome for some of these teams is very favorable. Um, in, in terms of the, the draw that they got and the teams that, you know, it may not be as stacked on one side of the bracket or the other. Uh, but definitely I think you're going to see some different teams in the Superdome uh, come December. Well, let's start off with the non-select side of things. And let's start off with the Division One. And now, once again, because of the way they restructured things, every bracket has teams that received uh, buys, correct? That's how it worked out. Every bracket has at least two teams that received buys. Correct, Hunter? Correct. So non-select will have uh, four teams, the top four getting a buy, and then the uh, select will have uh, the top eight getting a first-round buy. There we go. So in Division One, and, and the other interesting thing is, and people didn't realize this, a lot of these classifications, because of the reshuffling, you have 4A teams and 5A teams in the same playoff bracket and 4A teams and 3A teams in the same bracket and so forth and so forth. Correct. That's going to make things interesting. Teams that typically wouldn't play each other are now going to be playing each other, not only because of the revision to the select, non-select status, but because of classification as well. I think that's going to play a huge role in this as well. In Division One, though, Rustin's your top seed. They get a bye. Neville, always a perennial powerhouse. They get a bye as the two seed. Destrahan's the three seed. And Southside, one of the surprising teams, in southwest Louisiana, they earned the bye as the four seed. Those are your top four seeds, and then a lot of other really good teams in the mix. Zachary is there. West Monroe is there. Who do you like outside the top four? Who really stands out to you, Hunter? Yeah, well, definitely, you know, uh, Zachary always comes to mind. They just were right outside that top four, uh, losing the Catholic um, in, in district play, so you know, they, they're going to end up probably having a, uh, an interesting matchup with West Monroe in round two and then possibly facing the south side if south side can get to the quarters, which I, I believe they will. Um, Zachary's one of those teams that, you know, they, they went and won state last year. They, they bring a whole lot back, including Eli Holstein. Uh, but you also have to look out for a team. You know, Westgate is one of those teams that I think could sneak up in there and, uh, you know, maybe upset a, uh, a Neville and then maybe get to the semifinal dance with Destrahan. Um, Airline up in, in Northwest Louisiana, too, they're, they're rolling right now. So, Raymond, I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities outside of the top four in this Division One bracket that, uh, you know, if they play right on the on the right night, uh, they could end up upsetting the top seed. Yeah, you have Westgate. They're the number 10 seed, the defending Class 4A champs. They're going to take on 23-seed Belchase in the opening round. And if they get past that, then they're going to take on the winner of number seven, Slidell, and number 26, Hammond. Tell us a little bit, you know, how good Slidell? They seem to be a surprise there as a top 10 team. They've had a really good year. Could they be a dark horse? I think so. I think so. I think, you know, they come in at eight and two. Uh, you know, they lost to Jesuit in the first week of the season, and they ended up losing a shocker to, uh, to, to North Shore. Um, in the last week, uh, they still won their district, but ended up six and one in the district after that loss to North Shore. 
um, you know, they were actually rolling through their district schedule uh, very handily and, you know, including some wins over uh, Ponchatoula, who went to the state championship last year, uh, as well as uh, Mandeville and Hannah, who had had some success earlier uh, in the season. And even got a win over Bogalusa, who is uh, one of the top contenders in that Division Three bracket. So, uh, yeah, you know, Slidell is, is one of those teams that could, again, uh, pop up and, and surprise one of these upper seeds. Uh, a Slidell Westgate matchup would be very interesting, though, uh, considering the, the 4A, 5A uh, difference. Let's go to Division Two non select. Iowa gets the top seed and the bye. They're number one in that bracket. West Feliciana, number two. Opelousas, another surprising team. Jimmy Zachary's done a great job there in year two in charge of the Tigers. They get a bye, and they'll play the winner of Lakeshore Albany in the second round. North DeSoto is your fourth seed. But I see some teams here that are a little surprising. I thought Church Point had a tremendous season, yet they're only number seven in this bracket. Once again, you're combining classifications together here. But the Bears are number seven. They're going to open up against the Rain Frogs, the number 26 seed. It's Church Point, who made a semifinal run a year ago. Could they be a team that could make a deep playoff run? Well, when these brackets came out, the first thing I looked for in this division was who's Church Point going to play down you know, deep in the, in the bracket? Because I think that they have a favorable road. Uh, and then you look at West Feliciana possibly in the quarterfinals, and man, what a matchup that would be! You know, I think having not lost uh, uh, Iota in the last week of the season, I think Church Point would have been one of those top seeds and, and, and possibly getting that first round bye. Uh, but you know, definitely have a. Uh, I mean, you know, they if they get past Rain, they could end up facing a, a good Franklin Parish team that's improved over the last couple of years. And uh, but West Feliciana also is going to face the winner of that Iraq Eunice contest, which I think is going to be a, a pretty good contest over the 15 and 18 seeds. Um, that bottom bracket, it, it's very, uh, I think it's very competitive, Raymond, uh, because you also have the, the number three Opelousa seed in there as well, mixed in with some St. Martinvilles and even Lutcher, who's, who's rolling this year. Uh, but definitely, you know, Church Point, I think um, they're one of those seeds that. It's kind of uh, it's kind of like man, you know, number seven. I don't think they'll go far. They could go far, depending on uh, how how much they can, uh, uh, how how good they can compete against these uh, West Felicianas and maybe getting into a semifinal with Opelousas down the road. This bracket alone will feature two games on our sister stations. The Vermilion Parish game of the week is going to be that battle of the Bobcats between. Eunice High, 18, and Erath, number 15. That'll be on 106.3 Radio Lafayette this Friday. And then the St. Landry Parish game of the week is going to be us traveling over to Iota as number 21 Northwest takes on the number 12-seeded Iota. Chad Jones and some guy named Raymond will be on the call for that game on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And we've already secured our spot in the press box, and they are happy that we're coming, by the way. Um, which is always makes things so much easier. All right, let, let's go over to Division Three, bud, in the non-select side. Manny, not a surprise. They're your one seed, your number one overall seed. Uh, they're a perennial power now. Curtis has done a tremendous job up there. St. James is a four seed. Union Parish is a three seed. Bogalusa is a two seed. And when I look at this bracket, a meet is a seven in this bracket. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm like, mm, really? Uh, of Voiles, who went to the state semifinals a year ago, they're a five seed in this bracket as well. 
you know, it's top-heavy, but there's some teams that could make some noise in the Division Three non-select bracket. Yeah, definitely that, that bottom half. I don't know what it is this year, but it seems like the bottom half of the brackets are, are way more competitive in, in these uh, divisions. But, yeah, you know, in round two, you could end up getting a Union Parish-Sterlington rematch. In the quarterfinals, you could end up getting a Amy Bogalusa rematch uh, from the regular season. Uh, but, you know, Amy, I mean, if they can get past a, uh, a tough Bogalusa squad who's just on fire right now, I mean, there's a chance they could get back uh, to the – to a state title game again, like we discussed at the beginning of the segment, uh, I think you're going to see some upsets. I think you're going to see some, you know, double-digit teams uh, maybe getting into the semifinals and the finals. That just goes to show you, Raymond, how competitive uh, these brackets are. You know, I think even though people look at the seeding, it's going to be different from years past. You're going to have a lot tougher teams that played really tough schedules as lower seeds and maybe even double-digit seeds uh, making some headway. Uh, but you know you, you got to look at Manny as a favorite. They're just rolling. I mean, they. I mean, when you beat the likes of Newman and even a Sam Houston team that came on at the end of the year and just was rolling offensively, um, man. You know, I think Manny's going to be the one to knock off. But when you have a a teams like the Boyles and Lauraville and even St. James in the mix up there in that top bracket, I mean, it's not a given. Those are really tough teams, especially with the combined two A three A gumbo there. So. Uh, yeah, that Division Three. I think it's open. It's more open than people would think. Uh, I think a lot of people are giving Manny uh, the crown, but uh, they got a tough road to go. Let's wrap up the non-select with Division Four. Uh, this is the one that appears to me to be the most top-heavy uh, hunter yeah. of of the non-select brackets. Kentwood is your one seed. Bazil, who is always good for a quarterfinal or semifinal run. Uh, there in uh, Evangeline Parish. They're the four seed, the Basil Bearcats. Mangum is three, and Homer is two. And when I look at that, I, look, there's some other teams that stand out to me. Oak Grove, perennial power, they had a bit of a down year. They're an eight seed. Haynesville is a five seed. Uh, what do you make of the Division Four bracket on the non-select side? Definitely, I think this is a bracket that uh, is Mangum's to lose out of everybody's. So I think Mangum is uh, that team that has flown over the under the radar this year. They have a 2,000-yard rusher in, in Jalen Williams, especially. He, I mean, he is their offense. Uh, you know, if, if he can stay healthy, I think they have a really good shot to win this bracket, Raymond. Uh, Oak Grove is another one of those teams that they struggled, um, you know, the first half of the season. Uh, predominantly a run team. They were doing more passing this year, and I think it kind of hurt them. They went back to what they were doing towards the end of the season, uh, running the ball, and uh, we're, we're just smoking everybody. So I think Oak Grove's one of those teams that is going to come alive uh, in this in this bracket. But I think the team to watch and who could upset Oak Grove is Welsh. I think Welsh is one of those schools that has the tools that if they can get on a run uh, – they could be one of those seeds that maybe can knock off a Kentwood, uh, maybe even go deep into the semifinals. And, and you know, you're looking at maybe a matchup with uh, Basil or, uh, or or a Hainesville. Uh, I think Welsh is one of those schools that you're going to see uh, maybe upset one or maybe even two upper seeds uh, in that top half of the bracket. Uh, but like I said, I think this is Mangum's uh, year to, to win it all. I, I think that um, they have a clear road. Um, Homer is, uh, you know, they're still Homer. They're, they're, they're dominating right now. Uh, but, uh, I think, you know, after losing some key personnel from last year, um, I just, I can't see them repeating, but again, 
this is just one of those brackets. You just never know. It's going to be hard to kind of predict what goes on every week. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Hunter is going to rejoin us, and we're going to break down the select side of things for the state high school football playoffs. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. And you know what? Chris and his team over at LMG, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you many times before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and more importantly, no odor after a few years. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Hunter Bauer editor of gopreps.com rejoins us here in rp3 and company we let off our number two here talking high school football playoffs the non-select side of things now it's the new revised select side of things where acadiana and karen crow are playing in a bracket with saint aug so it's kind of an old school bracket (laughs) in a lot of ways so let's talk about Division One because this interests me more buys on the select side of things as top eight seeds receive them in Division One alone. Warren Easton, Karen Crow, Northwood Shreveport, St. Aug, John Curtis, C.E. Bird, Edna Carr, and Catholic of Baton Rouge all receive first-round buys. My question to you is, is there a team – that did not receive a bye in Division One select side that has a chance to winning a state championship? Oh, man. You know, Brother Martin, I think what Woodlawn of Baton Rouge as a 20 seed I think is very threatening. Um, they're just one of those schools led by Marcus Randall, former LSU great, um, got Ricky Collins at quarterback. I think they're one of those schools that if teams aren't careful – they could do some upsetting and maybe, I'm not saying get to the finals, but they could going to make a really good run. Uh, Alexandria at the number 22, uh, I believe they've also got, uh, a, a, you know, a really good sh- a chance at competing. Um, they would have to play like a Bird and a John Curtis to get there. Um, but like I said in the earlier segment, Raymond, this new this new select side, um, you know, before only 11 or 12 teams made it into Division One. It was basically a Catholic rematch, a Catholic League playoff. Um, this revamped bracket, oh, man, 
you've got Curtis, you've got Carr, you've got Catholic, you've got Bird on one side alone. Uh, that could just be a you know a state championship bracket in itself. But then when you get the possibility of a Cadiana and a Cadiana that's playing in the first round, uh, you know, if they got it going on, there's a chance that they can compete. You know, they'd have to get past Karen Crow and Warren Easton. Uh, but I think they got a chance to do it. And I mean, it's just there's so many championship type matchups in this bracket that I don't think you can go wrong in saying, hmm, I think this team's going to win it. No, I think this team's going to win it. I think every team's got a shot to win this um, in, in this Division One bracket this year. The Division One select bracket is what I call the bracket of death because absolutely it, it is insane. You just look at the top half of the bracket, Hunter. Warren Easton's like, oh, we got the bye. We're the one seed. Yeah. Okay, great. You're going to face a Kate. You could possibly face an Acadiana team that lost to LCA, John Curtis, and then lost to Southside, misses yeah. out on getting a top eight seed, and then they get to play a team they actually beat in the regular season in Karen Crow. That's so right. I'm sure Karen Crow's thrilled about that. In the in the second round. <laughs> and then it's it's Karen Crow, Acadiana High. You could have Northwood or Shreveport, Brother Martin, St. Aug. Those are all the teams that Warren Easton will probably have to face just to get to the semifinals. It's brutal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, another team I, I looked, I glanced over, uh, Captain Shreve at the 17th seed, uh, they had some uh, injuries that were just plaguing them during the season. And, I mean, they started out great, kind of struggled there towards the end. Uh, but I think they're slowly starting to get some of their starters back uh, they could easily upset a, 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 tie, a 16 Tioga on the road, um, go down to Warren Easton. If they're clicking on all cylinders and got their their kids back, um, Captain Shree is another dangerous squad that is, you know, traditionally doing really well up there in Northwest, Northwest Louisiana right now. Uh, so, you know, you're right, uh, Randy, definitely. Uh, you know, just to possibly get maybe an Acadiana, Karen Crow, or, uh, you know, one of those teams against a Warren Easton, Captain Shree, that's what I like about these new brackets. You're getting matchups that you don't normally get in the playoffs, and they're going to be way more competitive than they have been in, the, in years past. One that's a close runner for being maybe the most competitive bracket is still on the select side, and that's Division Two, because I look at it once again. St. Thomas Moore, Madison Prep, John F. Kennedy, E.D. White, De La Salle, Lafayette Christian Academy, Archbishop Shaw, and Turlings Catholic are your eight teams that received buys. <laughs> and it's just like, for real? I'll ask you the same question we asked about Division One. Can any team outside of the top eight make a run to the state championship game in Division Two selects? Yeah, well, you know, I was saying this before the, the bracket drop when we, when we kind of got uh, an idea of who's going to be where. I said, um, I told somebody, I said, you know, be on the lookout for these New Orleans teams, such as you know Carver or uh, Booker T. Washington out of New Orleans um, or McDonough 35. Those are three dangerous squads that seem to compete deep in the playoffs every year. Um, you know, you could possibly get. I mean, you may just get a McDonough 35 Lafayette Christian matchup, which I would love to see um, uh, over there in the Lafayette area. Uh, and then, you know, with Carver and, and Booker T. Washington playing each other, they would have to go to Turlington next week, and I think that would provide a great matchup as well. Um, so, you know, those three squads and L.B. Landry, uh, even in Evangel at, at 13C, you know, they've struggled in the past years. Uh, but, you know, they could go up against the E.D. White and then possibly get to the quarterfinals. And could you imagine the Evangel, St. Thomas Moore, Madison Prep, 
uh, matchup there. Um, but what's intriguing, Raymond, is, I mean, could you imagine having a St. Thomas More Charles Catholic rematch in the Superdome? I mean, it could happen. It really could. And I think that's what uh, is more exciting about this Division Two select bracket is the, the possibilities of the rematches you could get for a state championship. Division Three select bracket, once again, your top eight seeds there, it, of course, is Isidore Newman and Arch Manning. University Lab, Calvary Baptist, Dunham, Notre Dame of Crowley, Episcopal, North Caddo, and St. Charles. Who do you like in Division Three? Yeah, Division Three, real quick. You know, Lake Charles Prep is the 19th seed in that in that first uh, in the first round. Uh, there's a chance they could upset Catholic and, and maybe uh, give Notre Dame some troubles. Uh, you know, not as strong as they've been in the past couple of years, but definitely a team to watch. Uh, this is a really open bracket, Raymond, um, from, you know, Newman to Calvary. Even Dunham's uh, improved this year. But, uh, you know, you have to look at the usual suspects, such as Notre Dame and St. Charles. Uh, you know, you throw some North Caddo's in there. It's definitely open. Uh, but, you know, I hate that Calvary and Dunham are on the opposite side. I think those are two championship-worthy programs that are, are competing really well. But to get a Newman-University loud matchup in the quarterfinals, possibly, uh, just just amazing. I love the way these brackets are set up. Um, you know, but you have to give the uh, the nod. I think you know Dunham or Calvary uh, may end up winning this whole thing if, if they're clicking on all cylinders. All right, we'll get you out of here with this one. Division four, the final bracket for us to discuss. That's on the select side. VC has been a perennial playoff team, and they've been a high seeded playoff team in recent years. Yet they haven't been able to make a run. They've been upset numerous times, and usually in the second round. Based on how the bracket breaks for them, do you believe VC has a great shot of making a run and getting to the Caesar Superdome for the state championship? I think they do. You know, they could run into a, a Southern Lab who was just right outside the top eight. Uh, you know, they they uh, lost a, um, a, a a district contest to Kenwood that kind of shuffled them down. Uh, but definitely be on the lookout for Southern Lab to make a run. They could end up playing them in the uh, in the quarterfinals. But definitely a favorable road, you know. I mean, St. Mary's is tough. St. Martin's is tough. But uh, if Vermillion, it, it keeps going the way they have been. Uh, you know, I think they've posted like seven or eight shutouts this season. Uh, it could definitely be a um, a really good year, really good postseason for the, for the Eagles. Brother, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for making it. I know it's uh, a great time of year, a busy time of year for you. But appreciate your time breaking down all the playoff brackets for the state and keep up the tremendous work that you're doing over there at gopreps.com, bud. All right, Raymond. Thank you so much for having me on today. That's Hunter Bauer of gopreps.com joining us, breaking down the playoff brackets, the four for non-select, the four for select. I'm telling you, <laughs> there are some brackets that are going to be absolutely brutal with this new format, and we're going to have some teams that we typically expect to be there in the semis and the, in the state championship round that won't be there this year. You're going to have some upsets, and there's going to be quite a few of them. Got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here on RP3 and Company, we'll shift gears from high school to back to college, talking all things LSU with the Mad Dog. From Tiger Details, our buddy Ron Higgins. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Hey, just a reminder while we effort getting Ron Higgins on the Mad Dog here for the Tigers Midweek Report. 
Delta Media is having a special one-day sale. Have you ever thought about airing TV or radio commercials? Then today is an opportunity for you as Delta Media is having a special one-day sale event, which is designed for local mom-and-pop business owners to buy advertising at a discounted rate. This is not for the big Walmarts of the world. This is for local business owners. You can get 30-second spots for both radio and television. It is affordable advertising, but you must book it today and today only. That's right, only today. Call Delta Media Sales Director Johnette Cochran today at 337-896-2692. That's 337-896-2692 to take advantage of the Delta Media one-day sale. But you got to call today. Let's take a moment here to update our poll question of the day. On Wednesdays, it's always our foodie poll question of the week. What is Five Names' favorite meal? She provided four options. One of them is a fake. But she has four options. Here. What is Five Names' favorite meal? 38% of you believe that Hannah Five Names' favorite meal is ramen noodles. 31% of you say it's taco soup. 19% say chicken spaghetti. 12% say Grilled cheese and tomato soup. Now, hint, hint, she said she likes eating this on her birthday every single year. What? Yes, every single year she loves to have this dish. Salty Steve has chimed in and has gone with a picture of chicken spaghetti. And that's a good picture of some chicken spaghetti. I do like chicken spaghetti. We don't call it chicken spaghetti in our house. We call it chicken rotel. It's the same thing, though. I believe. Some people make chicken spaghetti, like, with Velveeta cheese and stuff, like red sauce. You make it like a cheesy dish instead. Mr. Green says, number one, need an edit button. Number two, he, he sounds it out. I still can't sound it out. Number three... I voted taco soup. Number four, nowhere near enough sleep and time change sucks. Bro, the time change was Sunday and you gained an hour. <laughs> you fell back. You gained an hour. You didn't lose an hour. <laughs> Mr. Green. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, wait, one's fake? Uh-oh. My chicken spaghetti guess is doomed. Hanging Chad. Change my vote to taco soup. Will the results be ready when the poll closes or will it take a month to recount the ballots? We will unveil the actual winner, the actual winner in hour number three today. Doug says, Hannah, you know you love them all, but your favorite, I would say, is chicken spaghetti. I mean, chicken spaghetti is a good guess. It is a good guess because I'm going to tell you something. It's what I guessed. That's how I voted. I went with chicken spaghetti. Went with chicken spaghetti. I nearly went with the taco soup because you talk about it all the time and how you're tweaking the recipe. But I was like, no, no. I think it's chicken spaghetti because I've also heard you talk about chicken spaghetti and making chicken spaghetti. 
And that seems like a heartier dish for a birthday. Like if that's what you're going to have, that seems like something that would be a little bit more heartier, so to speak. Let's get to a few comments here on Facebook. Edward says, ramen noodles and Vienna sausage. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I like that. Blaine Smith on Facebook says, ramen. So we got some votes for ramen noodles. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What is Five Names' favorite meal? Right now, leading the vote with 38% is ramen noodles, 31% for taco soup, 17% for chicken spaghetti, and 14% for grilled cheese and tomato soup. So there you go. There you go. Appears that the Mad Dog is unavailable to come on here for the Tigers midweek report. Want to you open up the phone lines. Game hotline is open. Want to talk high school football brackets like we just did with Hunter Bauer. We can do that. But we can also talk about LSU possibly serving as an agent of chaos for the college football playoffs. New rankings came out last night. And LSU gets all the way up to number seven now. Your top four, your new top four, Georgia, not surprising, is number one after they crushed Tennessee on Saturday. Number two is Ohio State. Committee didn't hold it against them that they struggled against Northwestern in a windstorm. Number three is Michigan. Committee didn't hold it against the Wolverines after struggling for a half against Rutgers. Number four, undefeated TCU. So your top four are undefeated Georgia, undefeated Ohio State, undefeated Michigan, and then undefeated TCU. Five is Tennessee. So Tennessee went from number one down to number five, which means they still have a chance of getting into the playoffs. They don't have any tough games left. And unless Georgia slips up somewhere, they're not going to get in to the SEC championship game. But things get interesting because at five is Tennessee, six is Oregon, who was absolutely mollywopped by Georgia in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, but has since won eight straight games. And Bo Nix, the former Auburn quarterback, could be a Heisman finalist. And then comes LSU. Right there at seven. The highest ranked two-loss team. Clemson all the way down to 10. Bama down to nine. Ole Miss at 11. LSU, if they win out and beat Georgia in the championship game, they will become the first two-loss team to make it into the college football playoffs. Michigan, Ohio State play one another. Think of that as an elimination game. That's how you got to think that. That's going to be an elimination game when those two arch rivals face off in a few weeks. Georgia, they're undefeated. They're not going to be tested the rest of the way until the SEC championship game. 
So if they're undefeated and number one heading into the SEC championship game that Sunday, they'll still make the playoff even with a loss. Michigan, Ohio State winner is in. But then things get kind of get hairy after that, right? Even if Georgia loses the SEC title game, I think they're in. Winner of Michigan, Ohio State's going to be in. That's two of the four spots. Then it's going to come down to those last two spots. Do you take the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game? If it's a close game, I say you probably need to. Because I don't know if TCU can run the table because the Horn Frogs are going to have to be undefeated. They have to play at number 17 Texas on Saturday. They still have to play Iowa State. They still have to play a Big 12 championship game. I don't see TCU going undefeated. They still have to play Baylor as well. I don't see that happening for the Horn Frogs. So that's going to eliminate the Big 12 out of the conversation. Oregon still has to play a couple of tough opponents that are ranked in the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings as well. I don't see Oregon going through their schedule unscathed. And if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, you could have Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, and Michigan all in. Two teams from the Big Ten, two teams from the SEC. Maybe even three with Tennessee lurking there as well. The best chance for chaos for the college football playoff resides with those boys in Baton Rouge. They can throw everything off its axis by winning its next three games, which are going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. You will see a letdown in Fayetteville. Can LSU push through that letdown and cold conditions and an early morning kick to get to Atlanta? And then once once they get to Atlanta, they have to beat Georgia, which is a tall task. But still, LSU has the best chance of just disrupting the whole thing. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, a man who needs an edit button and apparently believes he lost an hour of sleep on Sunday when he actually gained an hour. Good morning, bud. How are you? Good morning, Mr. Third. No, it's not that I lost an hour of sleep. It's just the fact that you know, my biological clock now gets me up at 4.30 in the morning instead of 5.30, and that's just not optimal, as you like to say. <laughs> I, I do like to say that. I do like to say that. I believe in you. I believe in you, bud. You know, you, you know what you need? You know what needs to happen? Can I make a recommendation that will improve your life, professional and personal? Are you ready for it? Sure, go ahead. All right, bud. You need to find a way to teach music back at Grand Coteau Elementary and have Hattie Elise Parks in your class. I'm just saying, if you had that, your life would be set for you, Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie. I'm just saying. You are so right. You are so right. Having her in class would definitely be a highlight of my day. Unfortunately, I don't control where I go. So, you know. I, I, I know you don't. I have, to, I have to say, so she, so I'm at my house yesterday, and all of a sudden she comes up to me, and she's like, she flips something over. She has a notepad. I give her notepads because she loves to sketch. She loves to draw and, and make little stories. So I'm like, okay. So she brings this notepad. She goes, flip it over, Daddy. I'm like, all right. I flipped it over. And then she's created the story about my life. 
So like when I was one, I did this. When I was two, I did this. When I was three, I went to the moon. When I was four, I fought a volcano or something. In each page is a different thing celebrating what I did from birthday to birthday. And it is extraordinary the accomplishments I did at ages one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> just say it. Just say it. Apparently I accomplished a, a slew of different things. It was it was quite it was quite nice. It was quite nice. All right, so I, I know you didn't call to get advice from me. You really called to comment either on the poll question of the day or the fact that you struggle. You're on the struggle bus, if you will, when it comes to the edit button in Twitter. Well, I actually want to talk about the two Tiger teams, one locally and one in Baton Rouge. First of all, and anybody who knows me knows I'm not an LSU fan, but I'll say this: they have stunned me. They have stunned a lot of people. And if anybody had them being ranked as high as they are with new coaching staff and so many new players, I want that person to get in touch with me and give me the lottery numbers so I can, you know, win. Because there's no way they should be doing as well as they are so quickly. Uh, you know, that's just saying. And I want to give some shout-out or shout-out some love to uh, my alma mater, the Opelousas High School Tigers. You know, in two short years, Coach Zachary has turned that program around. He's got the kids buying in, and it's been amazing to see. And uh, just to give you an idea, I can remember my oh, excuse me, my junior year of high school, my soccer team had a better record than the football team. We didn't win a game, but we tied one. So they've <laughs> come a long way in the, you know, 20. Jimmy's plus done a very nice job in a short amount of time there at Opelousas High. He's done, he's done a very, a done, he's done a very nice job. But all right, let me ask you one thing before we let you go, because we're up against a break. Okay. Sure. What you got? Is it impressive that at the age of nine, I turned myself into a table? I had that ability to turn myself into a kitchen table. That is that is rather impressive. Now, I, I will say this. It would be a little bit more impressive if you were able to turn yourself into a table with a five-course meal. Maybe I did that at 11. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. Jamie, I appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, bud. Thanks. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Look, I had an impressive childhood. It's been documented by my daughter. So, just saying. Kind of a big deal. Got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two here on RP3 and Company. We'll get you set up for a tremendous hour number three on this hump day edition of our show. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, have you ever thought about airing TV or radio commercials? Then today is an opportunity for you as Delta Media is having a special one-day sale event, which is designed for local mom-and-pop business owners to buy advertising at a discounted rate. This is not for the big Wally worlds of the world. This is for local business owners in Southwest Louisiana. You can get yourself a 30-second spot for both radio and TV. It's affordable advertising. But you must book it today and today only. Call Delta Media Sales Director Johnette Cochran today at 337-896-2692. That's 337-896-2692 to take advantage of our Delta Media one-day sale. 
Hour number two has come to a close. Hour number three will kick it off with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3. on the clock on this glorious Wednesday morning. Joined inside the studios by the intern extraordinaire Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. I'm just the schlub that hosts the show. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. I, I figured out a long time ago, surround yourself with extraordinary people and you will look... Confident. That's the that's the trick. <laughs> that's the trick. Coming up in a half hour from right now, it'll be time for the Big Easy Blitz. We'll talk with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast about the Saint state of the Saints and is it time to just to give up on this season for the Hoodats? That's coming up. But right now, it's time for us to talk Louisiana Raging Cajun football. They drop a tough one, let one get away from them on Saturday. There at Cajun Field against Troy. But they can still get to an extra game. They can still get themselves into a bowl game if they win two of their last three. And that begins tomorrow night in their regular season home finale against Georgia Southern. To break it down for us is our good friend, Jay Walker, joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother, and happy belated birthday to you, my friend. I appreciate that very much. Good morning to you, schlub. (laughs) <laughs> hey, man, it's the trick. Surround yourself with great people. <laughs> That's makes, correct. Yes. That's correct. Now, have you gone out and gotten Hannah Five Names a birthday question? Yet? Already taken care of. Okay. All right. You put me on the spot, Sweet. but I, 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 thankfully I, I already took care of it. Or rather, my All wife right. took well, care of it. <laughs> That's I'm, better. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Good for you. Thank you, bud. Thank you. All right, let's go back to Saturday because, I, I look, I wasn't there in person, but I was watching it from afar it sure did look like to me that they had a great game plan, that they were executing well for three quarters. And then things started going, you know, sideways on them. They missed the kicks. Kenny missed those kicks. That would have been helpful. But then the offense kind of petered out a little bit there late. What's your biggest takeaway from what you saw in the game against Troy? It just goes to show you how momentum in a game can change, you know. Midway through the third quarter, uh, Cajuns used what almost uh, almost seven minutes uh, to score a touchdown to go up seventeen to nothing, and then Troy came back with a twenty play drive that resulted in a touchdown. And man, once you lose momentum, it's really hard to get it back. And you know, I think that Troy uh, did a good job of making some adjustments. Um, 
and they were able to get things together on both sides of the football. And, you know, I don't think it helped the Cajun offense that, uh, you know, they had a couple of, a couple of offensive linemen go down. They were very patchwork up front. And, um, you know, and, and look, after he scored the second touchdown, Ben Wildridge was down for a long time. He played the rest of the game, wasn't nearly as effective, and I don't know if, uh, if that injury had anything to do with it or not. But I'll just go back to my first statement. When you lose momentum, it is really hard to get it back. And and Dez talked about that in his presser this week, Jay, where he, he said, look, it, it wasn't lack of effort. It was once you, you were dealing with the momentum, sometimes you try to do too much, right? So you, you, it's just things get off just by a fraction, and that's how things kind of steamroll on you, and you, you, you try to – Desperately try to get the momentum back, but in in turn, you actually lose it even more because you just cut you overdo it just a little. Yeah, uh, I I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I I do think that there is a time where, you know, maybe you just maybe you just try too hard, and as a result, you lose track of some of the little things that you need to do to execute, and um, then you don't execute. I thought Kenny had got himself right, Jay. Uh, he battled through the, the early season struggles after losing the job, and then he got back on track, and he looked good. And then, you know, he missed a kick against Southern Miss, and then he missed a couple of kicks that proved to be critical against Troy. When you're watching it live, and, and I know you also look at the tape as well, what, what, what do you see? Is he just missing these? Just by a fraction, is it something small, or does he just have the the yips, so to speak? Uh, I don't think he's got the yips because he came back and kicked one later. Right. Um, if, if he had the yip, he'd have missed that one too. Uh, the the, the short term one, uh, he just hooked it, you know. Um, and that happens from time to time. Um, we see we see kickers do that. I'm not going to say a lot, but you do see him do it from time to time where. You know, you just uh, your your plant is not where your foot is. And look, I, don't get me wrong; I'm no expert on kicking. Uh, but and then in your follow through, you you know, wind up like a punter shanks one. Uh, a kicker can too, and he'll go ahead and, and it was a it, it, he hooked pretty good. Uh, I don't know about the first one, uh, except that it was no good. They lose a game they should have won. The dog, the dog, the dog is mad at me. Uh, as dog's, uh, mad, dog's mad at you, Ray. He doesn't like the questions you ask. <laughs> well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time uh, that dogs or people would be uh, upset with me. How do you dust yourself off, so to speak? Because that's the type of win that that's the type of loss, rather, that you know that you were the better team and that you should have won the game, and it slips through your hands. I guess, Jay, my question is, does the quick turnaround help with that where you, you can't focus on the loss as much because you got a game on a Thursday? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, two parts to the game. There's the, the, the mental aspect, which you're alluding to. And, and look, I think that football players and, and kids in general are a lot quicker to turn the page than adults are. I, I just think that's the way they're made. My issue is the physical makeup of this football team heading into Thursday. That's the first thing. The other concern is, you know, Georgia Southern's going to bring an offense that the Cajuns haven't seen this year. 
you know, they're they're probably going to put it up 45, 50 times. And that they've got uh, they've got a talented quarterback. Uh, they run some uh, interesting things that try to make it hard for your defensive backs. Cajuns are banged up back there. Cajuns are banged up up front. Cajuns are banged up on the defensive line. I think that's a bigger deal than the mental aspect of it. Uh, physically, they could have used a couple of more days to heal. They don't have that luxury. That's a good point by you, brother, because now they have to do the quick turnaround. It's always harder on the body. You mentioned Georgia Southern and the way they like to Clay Hilton now as the head coach, the offense that they have. Who are some of the playmakers that Cajun fans need to know of and need to pay attention to for Thursday night's ballgame? Well, you know, the thing that uh, that people lose lose sight of sometimes because of the fact that Georgia Southern has always been a triple option team, and now they're not. And so everybody is talking about the fact that they throw it all over the ballpark. Um, Kyle Van Trees is good. Uh, he Now he's thrown it to the wrong guys a few times, but he's he's got a lot of capability, a big, strong arm. He's got the capability to go up top and go deep. Um, they're, uh, they're receiving cores good, but the, the thing that people ignore is they can run it a little bit. And, and they've got uh, one guy, uh, Green, that was with the team last year. He's running second team. But, but those two guys together, the, the two uh, tailbacks, are putting up some decent numbers combined. So you can't just worry about them throwing the football, although they will throw it a lot more than they run it. Defensively, what do they bring to the table? Um, you know what? I, I think they're just okay defensively. Um, teams have had success through the air uh, against them. You know, it's all about protecting the quarterback, I think, and, uh, and giving, uh, giving the quarterback time to throw. If you do that, I think there are plays to be made. All right, Jay, you know, last Saturday was officially senior day, even though this will be the final game. And I know the reason behind that is because Dez had played a Thursday night game when he was in back in the day, and he just felt more people would show up for Saturday. But this will be the final opportunity for fans to come out and, you know what, pay their respects and uh, give some love to these Raging Cajun players, guys like Zion Hill Green and others that have been with the program for a long time that'll be playing their final game in front of home fans. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, bud. Bring us home here with a message to all the folks out there listening uh, about making sure to come out and uh, give the Cajuns some love this Thursday. Um, it's so funny that, you know, you were mentioning that and you mentioned Zion Hill Green. When, when I think of the seniors, that's the first guy I think of too. Yeah. Um, he's had a, he's had a great career he has battled through so many injuries. Um, I, I don't know that, that I see the kid that loves to play as much as this guy does. And, um, you know, his, his story is great. Uh, you've, got, uh, you've got quite a few. You know, you've got quite a few who are, who are wrapping up on Thursday, but Zion's the first one. And, you know, they certainly deserve better than what they got last Saturday as far as the crowd is concerned. So, uh, hopefully, uh, some of the folks have – finally, uh, you know, gotten over what they watched on TV and uh, will come out uh, on Saturday and, you know, hopefully get this Cajun team their fifth win, but also, you know, say thank you to some guys who have put in a lot of sweat equity for this football team. Jay, appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thank you for making it. 
Enjoy the call tomorrow night there at Cajun Field as the Cajuns take on Georgia Southern, brother. I uh, I appreciate it. I also uh, want everybody to know that uh, Saturday night it's going to be 23 degrees in Asheville, North Carolina, which is where I'm headed. Oh, oh, oh. have fun, bud. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We got to take a time out, but before we do, need to give you a friendly reminder about what happens here in the state of Louisiana when it comes to safety. That's right. Because here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or any other reason, it really doesn't matter what it may be, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, just call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We got to take a timeout. When we return, it'll be time for the foodie poll question of the week roundtable discussion. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana. Coming up in just a few moments, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us to talk about the state of the black and gold. That's coming up. But right now, here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for us to talk about the foodie poll question of the week. We have our roundtable discussion every single Wednesday morning. Intern extraordinaire Moses Campos. The wild man, the legend, Steve Wiley, and of course the intern turned producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, joins us to talk about it. And this poll question, this foodie poll question of the week is all about her. What is Five Names' favorite meal? And here's your options, fellas. And she's going to unveil what her favorite meal actually is. We're going to go through here. We're going to talk about it, and then she is going to comment on what we had to say and what the results are for the poll, and then she will unveil what her actual favorite meal is. Now, hint, she says she likes having it and cooking it every birthday, and her birthday is obviously tomorrow. She turns 24. Okay, so here are your options. Ramen noodles, chicken spaghetti, grilled cheese and tomato soup, or... Taco soup, and the people have spoken. 
34% believe that Hannah Five Names' favorite meal is, in fact, ramen noodles. 31% say taco soup. 22% say chicken spaghetti. And 13% have chimed in to say grilled cheese and tomato soup. Brad on Twitter says, I'm going with taco soup. Have a vague memory, not sure if it's real, of her saying she loved it and could eat it every day. Brad, Brad, shout out to Brad for having memories he believes are real or not real. That is absolutely phenomenal. Plenty of comments here. I'm going to start it off with the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, who's running the ones and twos over there behind the glass. Sir, you've been working with her now a couple days a week for your internship for a couple months now. You've gotten to know her. What do you believe? (laughs) What do you believe? Is Hannah Five Names' favorite meal? So, I've done a lot of thinking about this. <laughs> like, I have mapped out my answer. Whoever said chicken spaghetti or grilled cheese, I don't know. But I know her favorite food, because she talks about it a lot, is taco soup. I know. I don't even have to vote because I just know what it is. Thanks for taking part in the poll question, by the way, Moses. We'll have a conversation (laughs) off the air about making sure to be involved. Um, (laughs) Man says he didn't even need to vote. So you're going – so, Moses, because of you working with her side by side for this time – We have talked a lot. I know it's taco soup. He he says that her favorite meal, without a doubt, is taco soup. He says that with confidence. He says – I don't even need to vote on it, RP3. That's what he just said. All right. Now let's go to the wild man, Steve Wiley, who's gotten to know Hannah as well through the foodie collaboration, conversations in the hallway here at the Delta Media Compound, as we like to refer to it as. All right, wild man. Those options, ramen noodles, chicken spaghetti, grilled cheese and tomato soup, or taco soup. Which one do you believe is Hannah Five Names' favorite meal? Well, here's the deal. But hands down, it's taco soup. Hands down, it's taco soup. Yeah, I know she loves taco soup. I know she Me likes too. grilled cheese and tomato soup because, I, you know, she likes soup, period. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I seem to recall, what, what was the guy's name on Twitter who said he remembered it? And Brad. I, yeah, well, I, I, I seem to have that same memory that Brad has uh, of, of Hannah Five Names telling us how, how much she loves taco soup. She does. So, taco soup. Yes. Taco soup. Smart. All right. I went different because she does talk about taco soup a lot. She loves taco soup. But I also know that she's a fan of chicken spaghetti, and she's made chicken spaghetti. So, she says she makes this for her birthday every year. I... Flipped a coin. It was between taco soup and chicken spaghetti. <laughs> no, me too. And it went, it went tails. And I said, okay, I'm going with chicken spaghetti because I thought, okay, she's trying to fake us out because once again, one of the options is fake. She planted a fake answer inside of this poll question to try to. But it's us. not taco soup. It's not taco soup. But, but. Is she trying to do the okie doke 
Hear me out. Okie okay. doke. She's talked about it. Obviously, this has been in her brain for weeks. Has she laid, planted the seed with all of us? Taco soup. I love taco soup. Did hey, you lie did to you, me? Did you know about taco <laughs> soup? Taco soup. Taco soup. And and is trying to make us look bad by talking about taco soup all the time. When in reality, the one that she likes to have on her birthday every single year is maybe chicken spaghetti so that's what i went with and i just did a very long form rationalization to come to a coin flip decision so so, so, taco soup for moses taco soup for steve i wanted to say taco soup but i went with chicken spaghetti okay i think the ramen noodles is the lie 34 percent if that's the case believe in the lie because that's leading the, the the results here all right Producer extraordinaire, the one who came up with this. By the way, happy early birthday tomorrow. Thanks. You turn twenty-four. Whoop whoop. Whoa whoa. Whoop whoop. There it <laughs> is. All right. Whoopity woo. <laughs> what? Okay. Can you tell us first of all which one is the fake? So the fake one is going to be the grilled cheese and tomato soup. I do like it, but it's not my favorite. I don't need it every single day. Now earlier on the show, Doc called in, friend of the show. <laughs> And said he went with grilled cheese and tomato soup because it's the time of the year and it's kind of easy and quick. And, you know, hey, it's winter time. Her birthday's around her winter time. Could be a childhood thing that her mom made her. So he had a good rationalization behind it. But in, in fact, Doc, grilled cheese and tomato soup is not one of her favorites. That was the plant in the poll question. Yes. Okay. And if you hadn't remember, if you hadn't have your memory served you back, I actually talked about how I for the first time, made grilled cheese this year. Like six months ago, I made grilled cheese and I burnt all of it. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> On my, my little griddle, I made that. But I do eat ramen noodles. Yes, I eat them just about every day because I'm living on a budget because that's what I got in the fr- in the, the house. In the fridge? Yes, technically, I sometimes do. It's fine. Yeah, but ramen, ramen noodles are nobody's favorite. Come on. Yes. But the overall, the favorite, I eat it every year for my birthday, is chicken spaghetti. It is not even just ragu or prego. It's my mom makes her own sauce because she can't handle red sauce regularly out of the store. So I have already made and have in the freezer my mom's spaghetti sauce. I do it with chicken, always the chicken rotisserie chicken from Walmart. And then my mom will get the like the raw already sliced mushrooms, put that in there sometimes. But yeah, chicken spaghetti is my ultimate favorite. Have it every year for my birthday. Uh, so I thought I knew you. <laughs> <laughs> I do make I taco soup often. <laughs> I put it in the crock pot all day, and then I get to put it in the freezer. So I, I have, have like four bags months, so. in the freezer I don't know right as well now. As I thought I did. I'm I'm so sorry. But now you've <laughs> learned a little bit more about Hannah. So there it is. Chicken spaghetti is actually her favorite. The look of disappointment on Moses' <laughs> but face. But I got the wrong one right. I knew she burned it. I was like, "There's no way that's your favorite." <laughs> I did. I burned all four like some grilled, grilled cheese. cheese. Oh, I'll take that win. And think about this. Three men who couldn't figure out what's on this woman's mind. Oh, that's a struggle every day. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a struggle for all of us in our own lives. Amen to that. (laughs) Oh, that was great. We got to take a time out here on RP3 and Company. When we come back, though, it'll be time for the Big Easy Blitz. Andrew Judes from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us. 
talking about the state of the New Orleans Saints. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Boudin is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. We thought the Saints were marching back to a successful season. We thought the defense had gotten right. We thought the play calling had corrected itself. Well, as Monday night proved, we all thought wrong. To talk about what in the tar nation happened inside the Superdome on Monday night against the Ravens is our friend now, Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. Andrew, uh, what in the world did we witness on Monday night? Uh, Beatdown. We'll start there. I, I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, you know, the final score was 27 to 13, which technically is two touchdowns, um, but it felt it felt like four. Um, it, it really was, I thought, from start to finish. Like the Saints never really had a chance in this one. Uh, it was clear which of these two teams was superior. And, you know, for, for all the narrative about the Saints struggling with uh, mobile quarterbacks, uh, that, to me, that was a big part of it. Uh, but it r- ran a little deeper than that. I also felt like defensively the Ravens uh, showed you the blueprint for how to embarrass the Saints. The Saints are very much like Andy Dalton. He's not, he's not going to win you games. Uh, when he's playing his best, he's not going to lose you games. Um, but uh, this team is really centered around Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill running the football. And, and if you eliminate their ability to do that, uh, then you turn the Saints one-dimensional and you force Andy Dalton – and if you can get pressure on him on top of that, uh, the Saints really have no shot. So, you know, look, you look at a couple, at the schedule and you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, you look at the 49ers, and those are two teams that I think can attack the Saints in similar ways. And those two matchups in particular on paper feel like uh, two outings that are going to be long and, and, and rough afternoons for the Saints in both cases. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this was just uh, a reality of a team just much better than the Saints. And, where the Saints are at at three and six feels about right. Uh, they're a team that can't get any turnovers. Uh, they have two interceptions now through uh, through nine games, and uh, offensively they're just inconsistent. I, I think there's going to be weeks where they can move the ball a little bit if Taysom Hill and Kamara can get going, and then uh, if you can shut them down, then there's going to be days where they really struggle to score. I want to talk about the play calling because it was atrocious, and and. I get that Baltimore came in with a game plan and you have to adjust. I totally understand that. I totally accept that. Taysom Hill is your second best offensive playmaker you have on the roster. He gets one throw, one rush, and one target, and that's it. That is not winning football for the New Orleans Saints. I don't care however you want to slice it, however Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael want to try to rationalize it. When you don't put the ball in your playmaker's hands, you're going to lose every single time, Andrew. This is basic football stuff. I guess I'll just elaborate, Raymond, because I really have nothing to add to that. Uh, (laughs) You nailed it. I'm definitely not going to disagree with that statement. Um, Look, I I, I think uh, when you're going three and out consistently, four drives in a row, uh, and you're punting, um, uh, look, I I don't want to absolve Pete Carmichael of blame here, but I, I think it's difficult to get Taysom Hill going when really the only drive that you had where you were able to get first downs and put points on the board was a two minute offense. Taysom Hill's not really part of that package. Um, And so, yeah, it's tough when you're not getting first downs to really kind of 
spread your wings and, and call the plays and, and do your whole playbook. But And yet, there was a third and one play early in that game, and inexplicably, Taysom Hill is not on the field. They hand the ball off to Calvin, Alvin Kamara. He gets stopped. The Saints have to punt. Uh, a clear situation where you would normally use Taysom Hill. And so uh, it, it's it's inexcusable, uh, you know, for him to have two touches. And, and clearly in a season where they've been really banged up uh, around the perimeter, no Jarvis Landry, no Michael Thomas, uh, they've struggled to make plays. And uh, I would say that Taysom Hill's usage this year has been the highest volume of his career. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he's habitually had nine, 10 carries a game. And so for him to throw one pass and carry the ball one time, uh, I mean, there's no, no other way to put it. It's not a winning formula. Not a winning formula. And the offensive line, which had been making progress, and I understand when McCoy goes down, that shakes it up a little bit. You have to move Caesar over to center and you bring in Throckmorton. I, I get all that. But they struggled with pass protection. But also part of that has to fall on Andy Dalton because Andy was holding on to the ball way too long. The offensive line did not perform well, and Andy did not perform well either. Yeah, that, that was a little surprising in the sense that I, I think Andy Dalton has uh, been pretty good at making decisions, getting rid of the football. Uh, when, when a blitz does come, quickly identifying where that's coming from and where he should go with the football. He's been pretty good at that this season. Uh, that's partly why he has been given the starter's job, and I, I think he kind of regressed this week. Um, the Ravens know him pretty well. I, I think, you know, obviously they've played him a lot over the years. John Harbaugh in particular has coached against him, and Certainly, they know his weaknesses. They know how to attack him. And uh, I saw more tip balls uh, at the line of scrimmage with Andy Dalton that I've maybe seen in previous weeks. Uh, Blitzing-wise, there, there, there's no doubt that they were able to get to him consistently. They were able to get sacks. I thought McCoy going down was obviously a big factor in the game where now you move Cesar Ruiz to center and Calvin Throckmorton is at right guard. And, and that made matters worse. Uh, but... Look, I, I think it was one of those situations where they did a tremendous job stopping the run. They forced the Saints to be one-dimensional on third down, and they were able to pin their ears back and consistently get pressure. And, and uh, I just think that was one of those games where the defense absolutely whipped the Saints. And you lick, you lick your wounds, you move on, but there's no denying at this stage that the Saints are just not able to compete with a team like that. The Ravens were vulnerable. The Ravens came into this ball game without their star tight end, without a star wide receiver. They even had some running backs banged up. They weren't healthy. And that seemed primed against the Saints defense coming off a 24-0 shutout. And yet the defense was terrible. I, I just what didn't get pass rush. Struggled against the run. Got gashed with the run game. Let Lamar make big plays on them. I understand he's a league MVP, Andrew. I get all that. He's a special talent. I make no bones about that. But how do you explain going from one week where you looked that good and you looked fired up and focused and had enthusiasm and you had, you know what, you had that Saints swagger on defense to put together the performance they did, which was so lifeless last night in, sorry, Monday night inside the Superdome. Yeah, I think on some level it's, this defense, I mean, it's a different matchup, first of all. So as good as the Raiders have been at times this season, uh, they're very much a traditional running game where if you can stop Jacobs uh, and you force them to be a passing team, 
Carr really isn't a threat to run the football. And so, you know, he's going to be out of the pocket and you can kind of get after him as a pass rusher. And the Saints had a different plan. I, I actually thought the plan was okay. Uh, whereas, you know, we talked about the offensive game plan and the issues there within. I don't know that defensively I had a major problem with the game plan. They really wanted to try to force Lamar Jackson to be a pocket passer. And I thought he missed a lot of throws in this game, actually. Uh, I thought they actually did a decent job of getting pressure on him. The problem is they didn't finish those plays. There were a number of times where they were so close to getting a sack, they would hit him, he would bounce off that, and then he makes a big run or he throws downfield. And so uh, I, I think that's – and, look, that, that's a common refrain. We, we've talked about this team's inability to tackle, uh, the poor tackling on this team, and I think that reared its ugly head. Uh, so, unfortunately, uh, that, that was a big thing in this game. I thought the play of the safeties in particular, Marcus May and Teron Matthew, uh, was really poor in this game. And so you go back and you look at some of the offseason decisions to trade away Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Malcolm Jenkins obviously retiring, letting Marcus Williams walk in free agency. Uh, that's kind of rearing its ugly head at this point because the Saints are not getting good production out of the safety position. Again, they're not tackling well. Uh, but this is disappointing because, as you said, they were missing a lot of players. We're talking with Andrew Juge. He's the co-host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. We've spent a lot of time being focused on Honey Badger and how disappointing he's been this season for the Saints. Expectations were through the roof for the former LSU Tiger. But I, I want to bring somebody else to the mix here. I don't think enough's been said about how disappointing Marcus Davenport has appeared to me. I don't see him overtaking games. I don't see him making plays. I don't see him. And for a guy that's supposed to be a, you know, first-tier pass rusher machine, I don't see him in long stretches in games, Andrew. How concerned are you of that for Davenport, who's in a contract year, and the fact that he's not really made an impact at all? Well, it's it's on brand that uh, he, he, let, he was unable to finish this game and he left injured, but... Uh... Look, I, I think McCoy, Warner, and Davenport, all three of them, that, that this is an expensive game in terms of injury. The Saints are already very banged up, and now they've lost those three players. And so uh, you know, moving forward on the other side of this, uh, that that's something to take note of. But to, to answer your question, I, I think the stats lie a little bit. He has a half sack this season, and yet I do think he's been able to create pressure. I think at times he's created sacks for other players. Um, but – at the same time, a half sack in nine games is just – that's not enough production. And, and I think the reality is, both in this game and over the course of the season, when I talk about not finishing plays, tackling poorly, uh, he's a, he was a prime example of that in this game, just not being able to, to get home and, and finish plays. And that's been an issue for this team all season, and Davenport's been a part of that. Uh, obviously, now that he's injured, uh, there's just a question about when he can return. But when you give up two first-round picks – for a player of his caliber and you pick up his fifth year option as a first round pick. Uh, and there's talk about in a contract year, whether you would extend him or not. Uh, it is shocking to see him produce at this poor of a level. And, uh, and they decided think, to look, go they, with they, they, him, they were counting on him, Andrew. And yeah, they made the decision a few years ago that he was going to be their guy for the future. And that's why they let Trey walk because they didn't want to overpay for Trey. And because they, they said, well, we got Marcus and house. That's another part of that. Right. And, and the big thing has always been with, with Davenport is, can he get on the field? Can he stay healthy? Because if he can stay healthy, we know he's going to produce at a high level. But obviously, if he's injured, then he's not playing. 
well, this year he really hasn't missed any games. He's, he's been playing, and yet we're still sitting here at that half sack in production. So that's been that biggest head scratcher uh, is his struggles and his inability to finish plays. And, you know, when you talk about the defense struggling and, and some of the changes that were made on the back end, losing Chauncey Gardner Johnson, I mean, they're, the secondary is not as good as it was a year ago. Certainly Lattimore being injured exacerbates that. But at the end of the day, the best way to fix an ailing secondary is to get pressure on the quarterback. And so when you think of Cam Jordan and David Onyemata and Davenport, I would argue that all three of those guys who are supposed to be uh, this incredible pass rush, and I would say by extension, Granderson and Peyton Turner, this was supposed to be a really deep group for the Saints, and it just has not produced. You and I have spoke about this off the air, and I want to bring it to this conversation. Look, terrible luck with Michael Thomas. I also think there's some type of issue with the Saints and their training and medical department because you're having multiple issues here with different players. You know, when you think of Michael Thomas, I think, oh, it's Delvin Bro all over again. He's not going to play for essentially three seasons. Do we see Mike Thomas can't guard Mike in a Saints uniform in 2023, Andrew? Yes or no? Yeah, it's a t- that's a tough one. Look, first, first, I just want to address the medical staff. And, uh, you know, I, I would expand on that by saying what's been really puzzling is that the Saints have failed to kind of get an extra person on the roster by placing some of these guys on IR. Exactly. You, you, you can put them on IR, you shove them for three weeks, and then they have an opportunity to come back. And for them to sit and carry a roster spot for four weeks, five weeks, and then get put on IR is a real head scratcher because you could bring guys up to help your team in the interim. So uh, their management of that is another layer that's been a real head scratcher and pretty poor from the, whether it's the front office or the coaching staff. Um, But with Michael Thomas, I I lean towards no. Um, Look, I I think there, there's an issue with the the way his contract is structured where they're not going to get any cap relief for June 1st. They have to get under the cap. They're about 55 million over right now. And they have to get under that number by March for free agency. And they really can't touch Michael Thomas's contract at that point because it would it would all be dead money and, and he would cost more off the team than he would on. So he's really a June 1st designation if they decide to release him. Uh, that would save them about $15 million. Uh, my guess is that they will approach Michael Thomas and they will ask him to take a pay cut. And uh, you know, then it's up to him. Like, How bad does he want to stay with the Saints versus maybe trying to start somewhere new? My guess is that Michael Thomas will say, no, I'm not taking a pay cut, even though he hasn't played for three years. But, uh, you know, he may – I, I don't know what his approach would be, honestly. So, I, I think the reality of his contract and the lack of production you've gotten – look, they've paid him $50 million over the last three years to essentially play 10 games, $5 million a game. And, and it's not like he's played that well in those games. So, uh, I think you're kind of at an impasse here where you can't continue – to pay a player that much and take that much risk in terms of cap allocation uh, and then continue to get no return whatsoever. So I think the Saints approach him about maybe restructuring his deal a little bit. We'll see if Michael Thomas is open to that. But my gut is that they will get a lot of space post-June 1st. That will allow them to maybe make a run in the secondary wave of free agency or maybe sign their draft picks. Um, But I I think maybe he starts anew after June 1st. All right, bud, we'll wrap it up with this. It's three and six, and 
we keep moving the goalposts around because we keep saying they're only a game out of the division and seven or eight wins will win the division with a losing record. And, and I understand all that. But they're still behind. They're still not winning games. The division is hot, wet, stinky garbage, and they're still not leading it. When can Saints fans realistically decide to give up on this season? Well, I, I honestly, I, I don't know that this Ravens game is the, the final nail in the coffin. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is, I, again, I look at the schedule, I see the Eagles, I see the 49ers as teams that will give the Saints similar matchup problems where I would expect them to lose by a considerable amount in those two games. And the Browns will have but Deshaun Watson. They will, that's fair. Um, but I, I think the rest of the schedule, when you look at the teams that they play, I, I think there's a bucket of about 20 teams the Bucks, the Falcons are, are on that list that uh, are, are not very good. They're inconsistent. And, and I think the Saints, when they play those games and they play against those teams, they could win, they could lose, and it's all going to come down to who's a little bit more consistent. Like the Rams, um, now these, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. That would be another one, right? Oh, you can listen to all your favorite Christmas classics or local Cajun Christmas songs on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. That's nonstop Christmas music 24-7 on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. You can listen live at louisianachristmaschannel.com or download the free mobile app on both Apple and Android devices and listen on your Amazon Alexa. So listen to some holiday cheer with the Louisiana Christmas Channel. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Hunter Bauer from Go Preps, breaking down the football playoff brackets. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour Podcast. A little Astros news to share with you before we sign off. According to Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal, he's reporting that Trey Mancini is now a free agent. His option was not picked up by the Astros. Will Smith's team option was not picked up as well. He is a free agent as well. No news on Justin Verlander. He's not officially a free agent yet. He does have a player option worth 25 mil in 2023 that he can opt into, but the Astros also have exclusive negotiation rights till tomorrow for a new deal. So let's see what happens there. For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.